Good morning to everyone who is online with us this morning, uh, to Calvary Chapel family, and to all our guests and friends that have been invited to uh, view online uh, our service. I have been amazed at how many people uh, from different parts of the world have been tuning in, and I want to thank you that wherever you are uh, for being with us today, it's great to be with you. And I pray that you'd be encouraged by the Lord this morning. Uh, I have a confession to make before we begin this morning. And you know how I like to uh, deride and criticize people who are on Facebook. Um, I have actually found that through these times of uh, social distancing uh, that I myself have signed up on Facebook. And perhaps you've seen me there. And so I have been humbled by the Lord, and I have taken the leap into the great abyss, and I pray that uh, it will be a blessing uh, to be able to keep in, uh, in touch with you that way. The other thing that I have noticed through all of this is that I was talking with Sandy this morning when we woke up. Uh, I do not have the gift of social distancing. Um, I am missing everybody. I am talking to squirrels. I'm talking to deer. I'm talking to the walls. And uh, what is really interesting, though, is that Sandy is way different than me. She's much more introverted. And so this has just been an excellent opportunity for her to recharge her batteries and just to enjoy life. And so it's kind of interesting watching how different people uh, go through these times. Now, um, church, as you know, we have been going through the book of Acts. Uh, but since we've been going through the coronavirus and it's set the world on edge and has changed the world that we live in, I've been taking a few Sundays to basically talk to you about some things that the Lord has laid on my heart. And last week, uh, I took the liberty to speak to you about the blessings that come from adversity, and I named four of them, and that is, is that uh, it can produce intimacy with God, it can redefine and sharpen what is really important, so it redefines our priorities, it can refine our hearts and purify them. And most of all, it brings us into the most important thing for which we exist, and that is to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus himself, which is what God has called us into, is to have a beautiful and loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I just felt that the Lord impressed upon my heart a subject that I'd like to talk uh, for a few minutes today, and it's another thing that starts with A, and it's not adversity, it's an anxiety. Now, I know what you're thinking already, and that is, great, Dale is going to talk to me about anxiety and worry, and since I already am worried and have anxiety, I'm worried about what Dale's going to say today. Well, no worries. I'm going to encourage you today with some remarkable words from the scriptures uh, the Lord Jesus himself gave to his listeners and I pray that it will strengthen you with incredible promises from our Heavenly Father. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 12 this morning, and I'd like you to put your finger on verse 22. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray for you. Father, uh, I just thank you today 
for everyone that is tuning in, wherever you are in the world, uh, whether it be here in Kelowna or whether it be someplace else. And I pray that the Word of God will greatly encourage and bless you today as you look into the words of Jesus. His words are true, His words are alive, and His words have the power to transform our minds and our hearts uh, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. So, Lord, bless your word today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are humble to hear and receive your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that I've noticed as I've been watching myself online is that I'm pretty fidgety. I realize like I move around like a boat that's tossed in the ocean. And uh, so I'm going to try to be a little more steadfast today and quit moving around. Uh, But I'm not making any promises. I'm just going to try to consciously stay in front of the camera. Uh, So anyways, with that in mind, let's turn to Luke 12. And I'm going to read our text today starting in verse 22. Jesus speaking. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Verse 31. But seek all, uh, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. And where your tre- uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, <clears throat> every scripture that you read must be looked at in context. Because if you don't look at scripture in context, then you are left with a pretext. And we don't want to preach pretexts. We want to preach the word of God in context. So what is the context Uh, in which we find our text this morning. Well, if you read all of chapter 12 in the Gospel of Luke, it does give us some context to what Jesus is saying. First of all, we know that Jesus was speaking to a very large group of people. We find that in verse 1. 
it says there, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled on one another, he began to say to his disciples. So we know that there was an incredible, innumerable group of people that were listening to Jesus. So that means that Jesus was probably somewhere in the Galilee, up on the hills, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. We know that he was speaking to Galilean farmers and peasants, simple people, fishermen, uh, farmers, who lived day by day by what they grew, what they could sell, or what they caught. We know that we are talk, he was talking to a group of people that were just living on the provisions that they actually could acquire day by day. He's not talking to bankers or lawyers or to investment portfolio managers who have large bank accounts and aren't so worried about the day-to-day life that would come their way. We're talking about people who lived by faith day by day in what they grew or what they caught. They would have real concerns about what they were going to wear and what they were going to eat. And Jesus pointed out to them that they should not fear these things like others do, but that God would be in charge of their lives and that he in fact holds all of these things in his hands. And so this whole chapter is about living in God's love for, him, for them, that he would actually take care of their day-to-day needs. Now, as you drop down, he gives them a perspective of really how great God's knowledge and care is of each and every person. For in uh, verse 6 and 7, uh, Jesus said to these people who were listening to them, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, sparrows are common small birds. They were so inexpensive that five could be bought for only two cents, which was in those days one-sixteenth of a day's pay for an average worker. And yet the Lord says because of their insignificance to the human eye, Not one of them is forgotten before God, and that he knows even the number of sparrows in the world. And not only that, he says, he knows the number of hairs on everyone's head. Now, for some of you, uh, that's going to take a lot of counting because you have a lot of hair, and for others, it's not going to take so much counting because you ain't got no hair on your head. But nevertheless, whether you got much or you got little, the Lord knows how many. But the point being is, is that God is so intimately knowledgeable of all of his children that he says that even like the birds of the air or the hairs of your head, he is aware that intricately and intimately with your life, which really blows your mind when you think about it. So I would say this, is that when you look in the mirror today, and you see that beautiful reflection staring back at you, and you look at yourself, and the first thing that you think about is uh, all the things that you'd like to change about yourself. Uh, Why don't you think about uh, looking at yourself in a whole new context, and that is uh, 
Let it remind you of God's intimate care and knowledge that if he knows the number of hairs upon your head that you are brushing in that mirror, how much more is his promise uh, to take good care of you? So, as you're brushing or looking at yourself this day in the mirror for whatever reason, think about how much God knows about you and how much he cares for you. Then in verses 8 to 12, the Lord said the greatest priority you should have in your life is not what you eat or wear, but that you should confess men or you should confess me before men. Because in verses 8 to 12, Jesus said, he that confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. Now, that's a good priority to have. And then in verses 13 to 21, he goes on to talk about the parable of the rich fool because somebody in the crowd, as Jesus is talking about uh, their heavenly father's care for them, cries out and says, Lord, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And the Lord said, I haven't come here to be a judge over those things. And he answered the question by telling the parable of the rich fool. And the rich fool is about a man whose goods increased to such a point that he wondered, how shall I handle all the increase? He said, well, I'm going to build bigger barns and bigger storehouses so that I can um, uh, take care of all of the blessings and prosperity that's come into my life. And so... Uh, it says that he did that, and he sat down, and he said to his soul, eat, drink, and be merry. And this is what God said to him. He says, you're a fool, because tonight your soul is going to be required of you, and what will it, uh, all of these things that you have profited from, who shall they be one second into eternity? And God called that man a fool, not because he was rich, not because his business had prospered, but because he had no sense of eternal priorities in his life. Jesus put it this way, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, but he forfeited his soul in the process? What would it profit indeed a person who gains the whole world, but one second into eternity realizes that everything that they have gained is worth nothing for the rest of eternity. And then Jesus weaves a warning through that whole parable, which is found in verse 15, because he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, that's the context in which Jesus is speaking, and now we come to our text today. And so the text today fits into the worries and the anxieties of how will I provide for myself? What are the priorities in my life? What really uh, is going to happen to me? And the Lord is saying throughout all of this chapter, think about the birds, Think about the sparrows. Think about the hairs on your head. Think about how intimately God is uh, acquainted with you. And think about if he knows all that about you, that you can prioritize making the kingdom of God the first and uh, the number one thing that you should be seeking in your life. So we read our text today and we come to now this great exhortation about anxiety, worry, and fear. Uh, 
Now, I want you to notice there are three things that Jesus told the listeners that they are not to do in our text. Did you spot them? They're in verse 22, verse 29, and verse 32. There are three things that Jesus said, do not do. He said, do not worry, do not seek, and do not fear. So let's take these in order. Do not worry, verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Have you noticed that the coronavirus has shown what a consumer type of world uh, we are, or that we live in? It's occurred to me that our economies are largely built now on consumerism rather than what we actually produce. And at the top of that list is food and fashion. Now, Jesus is not telling his followers to walk around stark naked and starving. That's not what he's saying here. What he is saying is, is don't let fashion and food be the things that drive or are the, pri- or are the pri- priority in life. In other words, what is your view of what is important in life? Now, when you look around our world, fashion is really important. You can't go to a news feed, you can't go to a website uh, without uh, many stories being about somebody like the Kardashians or some movie star or some recording star about what they are or more accurately not wearing, and we are just driven by fashion-conscious thinking. And uh, on top of that, uh, all the restaurants have closed. And it's amazing how often we have come to see fashion and food as just a part of what we do in North America. Well, Life is not about making fashion and food your priority. Life is so much more than this. I was reading one commentator, and here's what he said. He says, it's an amazing and ironic truth that while ours is perhaps the most affluent, indulged, and comfortable society ever, it is also the most stressed out, worried, and anxiety-ridden one. No worry goes unnamed, undefined, uncatalogued, undiagnosed, or unmedicated. Worries merely go unrelieved. Now, did you notice Jesus' words here? He said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. I want you to think about that because I don't think Jesus actually was putting out a suggestion. I think he really meant it. I think Jesus really meant what he was saying. He was saying, do not worry. In other words, Jesus is saying, get a grip on reality. If you really think about God's care for you, then take those thoughts 
and bring them into a place of seeing and evaluating the priorities of your life from God's perspective. Another commentator said, worry stems from two things, ignorance and especially unbelief. Worry stems from two things. Worry comes from ignorance and unbelief. Many Christians needlessly worry because they do not understand the depths of the revelation on God's gracious love and care. If you just read this passage with me, think about the intimate knowledge that God has of your life. Because if you want to actually overcome worry, anxiety, stress, and fear, the only way that you are actually going to do that is to replace those thoughts with how much God knows about you, how much God loves you, and how he has actually promised to take care of you. Now, there are others who understand God's nature and promises, yet they fall into worry anyway. Now, to be needlessly ignorant is a sin, but to knowingly distrust God's self-revelation in Scripture is even a greater sin. Some Christians know all about the Bible. They know all the, the promises of the Bible. They could quote to you scriptures that should help them overcome worry and fear, and yet they live in worry and fear all of their lives as if it's a badge of honor that they should be wearing around in public. It's not. We need to gently but firmly encourage each other to take our eyes off our circumstances and off of people and off of things and put them onto God. Because what causes worry and fear? It's because we're looking at people or circumstances and we are fearing them or those things rather than what God says. Now, the apostle Paul told the Corinthian church that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. To the Philippians, which has been called the mental health book of, the, of uh, the Bible, because if you read the book of Philippians, you'll see the word mind repeated again and again and again, at least 11 or 12 times in that book alone, that word mind is mentioned by the Apostle Paul. And he said to the Philippians that we are to think on certain things. And we are to uh, think on things that are praiseworthy. And we are to capture our thoughts and bring them into submission to Christ. Now, if we keep on going, the Lord gives two illustrations of why we can trust our Heavenly Father and why we can overcome fear and anxiety. The first is, he talks about the birds of the air, and secondly, he talks about the flowers of the field. In verse 24, he said, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and, uh, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If then you are able, not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow and how they toil, nor, uh, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, 
Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? It's interesting that the Lord chose a raven as an illustration. Ravens and their little cousins, the crows, are in fact scavengers. And in biblical times, they were considered an unclean bird. These insolent, squawking birds know nothing of people trying to sleep in the early morning. If you have ever had a family of crows sitting in your backyard when the sun rises and they begin to squawk, it begs for a shotgun to stop their incessant noise and put them out of their misery. These insolent, squawking birds know nothing of the habits of the farmer who Jesus said they know how to sow, they know how to reap, they've built storerooms and barns. The ravens and crows know nothing about that, but God feeds them every day without fail. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus' followers are not to work for other places in Scripture uh, use animals as an, as an example of hard work. What Jesus is doing is he's merely holding up a common bird that lives according to its God-given capabilities and functions, and he shows that God provides for it. And Jesus said, and this is why you pay me the big money to give you these uh, nuggets of truth, Jesus says you're worth more than birds. So don't be a bird brain about it. Think that every time you see a bird, God values you more than birds. So the next time you're walking around and you hear all of the birds singing and you hear the beautiful melodic music or even a crow cawing, think about the promises that God has made for your care. Now, worry is an absurd thing according to Jesus. Because in verse 25, he asks a question about worry. And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? In truth, worry does not lengthen one's life. It shortens life. And what has ever left of your life, worry makes it miserable. What can worry do for you, Jesus says? Jesus goes to the very depths of the root of the issue, as he always does, and he basically asks, what can worry actually accomplish for you? And the answer is nothing, zip, nada. Now, if you are a parent or you've been a parent, you understand that you want your children to be joyful and secure in your presence. Your children don't know how the mortgage is being paid. They don't know how the roof stays over their head. They don't know how the heat stays on. They don't know why, the uh, why there's gas in the van to go to the store. They don't know why there's money in your pockets to buy groceries. They don't know why they sleep on a bed rather than on a floor. And they don't need to know because that's not their responsibility. What they do know is that mom and dad are on the job, 
and that mom and dad's job is to take care of us. And all mom and dad care about is to make sure that their kids are secure, that they are loved, that they are happy, and that they have a place to call home where their needs will be provided. Now, as a parent, would you be happy if one night you sat down with your kids to pray with them before they go to bed? And may I say to, can I just say this? This is not in my notes. Mom and dad, if there is one blessing that this coronavirus can bring to you, it's to make you the spiritual leaders that God wants you in your home. Because you can't come to church and take the kids to Sunday school. You can't come to church and let other people do the work for you. You are responsible for your kids. So take this uh, time and dads, be the leaders in your home. Grab your wife by the hand and take them up to Sally and Joey's room and pray with your kids and encourage your kids in the Lord, and read the Bible to them, and take the time to use this uh, time wisely to be uh, the moms and dads that God wants you to be. Amen? Amen. Now, back to my story. Now, if you were uh, up at the bedside of your kids one night, and you wanted to pray with them, but all of a sudden they started freaking out, and they said, hey, mom and dad, are you really going to take care of us? Are we really going to have a house? Are we going to have food? And you'd say, of course we are, honey. That's why mom and dad are here. And would you not be a little disappointed if your kid held up a contract and said, could I have that in writing? A lot of times that's what we do with the Lord. He's given us great and precious promises, and we somehow feel like we still need to worry and have uh, some type of anxiety uh, meltdown uh, because we're not sure whether God's going to take care of us. Now, we as parents would be disappointed in our kids if they didn't trust us, and I think that God would be disappointed, um, I don't know what the right word is because God loves us, but like, it's like, hey, I'm your, I'm, your, I'm your God. I've given you my word. You can trust me. I have promised to take care of you. Look at the birds of the air and look at the flowers of the field. And that was his second illustration. Every time that you've taken, the, I, well, I hope you've taken the time to smell the flowers, but I've also hoped that you've taken time to actually look at a flower because flowers are beautiful. And if you have flowers in your yard, each flower is unique. They have a unique design of pattern and color that are absolutely incredible in detail and exquisite in beauty. Uh, we have a beautiful flower garden just off our kitchen patio, and we have a lot of different type of flowers growing in there. We have roses and other flowers that I don't know the names of, but they have lovely colors. And uh, sometimes I just look at these flowers, how, how intricately and how beautiful each and every color, and some of them have multiple colors in them. And the Lord says, if you just look at one of those flowers, he said, even Solomon, who was one of the most 
grand kings of all of Israel, that if he were to dress in his royal robes and put on all of his royal jewelry, he could not compare to one singletary flower. Now, lilies here is not like a specific uh, flower the Lord really is referring to. It's a generic term for flowering plants. And he says, look at how these flowers grow in the fields. They don't toil, they don't spin. In other words, they're not there flipping out and freaking out about whether or not they're going to blossom and bloom. They just do it. And no matter whether anybody sees them, there they are in their full array, even if nobody sees them or takes the time to appreciate them, and they could be here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will God take care of you? Now, a lot of times we feel like a flower. Nobody sees us, nobody cares about us, but God sees us and God cares about us. And if God cares about flowers and birds that are here today and gone tomorrow and nobody notices them, how much more does God see and care for you? So don't have a weak view of your creator and provider. It dishonors God and it produces worry and it will restrict the flow of God's blessing. The second thing God says is not only do not worry, but do not seek Verse 29, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Now, this is basically uh, kind of joining up with what he said in verse 22. He said, don't worry about what you'll eat and drink. And he says, and now don't seek it. It's kind of another form of don't worry about things. But notice at the end of verse 29, he says, nor have an anxious mind an anxious mind. The scripture has a lot to say about our minds. If you want to do a word study in the New Testament, just take a highlighter and look for the word mind. And wherever you see it, highlight it or underline it, and you'll see that God has a lot to say about the human mind, about our thinking, The scriptures have uh, a lot to say about our minds, and one of the things that the scriptures says is Paul uh, told Timothy that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And that's found in 2 Timothy 1.7. It's interesting that the original Greek word translated sound mind only appears in the Bible here this one time. Now, what is Paul referring to when he tells Timothy that God has given us the spirit of a sound mind? First, the influence of the spirit of God is absolutely required to produce a genuinely sound mind. If the spirit of God dwells in you, The Spirit of God is revealing to you Jesus. And if he is revealing Jesus to you, he is revealing all the comfort and the strength and the purposes and the powers that Jesus has for your life. So to have a sound mind, you must be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, the sound mind that Paul speaks of is a mind that is under the control of God's Holy Spirit. In the sense of self-discipline, this word denotes careful, rational, sensible thinking. Having a sound mind requires a thought process that's based on the wisdom and clarity that God imparts rather than being manipulated by the fear and the thoughts that the world produces. Today, as in Timothy's day, fear is a driving force in the world. Now, for us human beings that are experiencing a worldwide pandemic, we can't but turn on the news and it's 24-7 every day, the latest updates of what's going on with the pandemic. Now, we don't need to be fearful of these things. We can be informed about them, but we need to realize that if our minds are filled with the Spirit of God, that we don't have to be fearful about things, but we can be informed about things. Fear inspires news headlines. It motivates advertising campaigns, and it stirs up social media frenzies. Fear is one of Satan's favorite devices to confuse our minds, cause irrational thoughts, misunderstandings, and derail us from the will of God. For this reason, the Word of God encourages us to cultivate a healthy, renewed mind that can process right thinking based on God's truth. That's why Paul wrote to the Romans uh, in 12, Romans 12, verse 2, where he said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. A sound mind is a stable, healthy mind. A healthy mind is linked to our attitude and our outlook as believers and followers of Jesus. A sound mind is informed about the cares and problems of life, but it's not overwhelmed by them because a sound mind has set its sight on God and his kingdom. A sound mind is alert and sober focused on the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. A sound mind recognizes who we are in Christ, and it does not depend on human wisdom and strength. A sound mind is guarded through prayer and purity. A sound mind stabilizes our entire inner world. And when Paul says that God has given us the spirit of a sound mind, or in other versions, self-control, discipline, or sound judgment, he doesn't mean that we'll be able to train harder, eat better, or study more. It means that God's Spirit will yield obedience, right living, and moral judgment. From the inside out, the Holy Spirit reshapes and transforms just not how we think, but in fact, who we actually are. Paul told Timothy not only to have a sound mind, but to be sober-minded. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, it says, But you, Timothy, be watchful. The English Standard, standard, the English standard Version says, But you be sober-minded 
in all things, endure inflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. He wrote the same thing to Titus in chapter 1, verse 8. Be hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. The term sober-minded literally means be free from intoxicating influences. More broadly, being sober-minded means that we do not allow ourselves to be captivated by any type of influence that would lead us away from sound judgment. That's why Paul wrote, be filled with the Spirit. In this case, anxiety and worry comes from a spirit of fear rather than faith in God's love to provide for us. Now, we could go on and on uh, about many, many things about what the Scripture says about our minds, but I'll just give you a few examples. First of all, we are to have the peace of Christ in our mind. Philippians 4, verses 6 to 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And he goes on in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, <laughs> and you also aspire to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business. That's a good one to keep in your cranium, about your minds. Mind your own business. Work with your own hands as we commanded you. To the Colossians in 3.2, he said, set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. And here Jesus tells us not to have an anxious mind. Why? Because verse 30 of our text tells us, for all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. There's the answer. Your heavenly Father knows that the world seeks after all of these temporal things. You know, what should I wear? What should we eat? Your Father knows that you need all these things. And He knows that the world runs after these things. And it's not that you should be forbidden from having clothes or food. What Jesus is saying is don't make that the overriding priority of your life that all you can think about is what you're going to buy and how you'll look in it or where you're going to eat. Now, I'm not suggesting, ladies, that you go and buy a tent and cut a hole in the top and wear that around or guys that you have to walk around and look like, uh, you know, something that you feel is just the latest, but simply don't give over attention to these things. Now, the world thinks about these things, and the world worries about these things, and it's not forbidden. It's just don't make it the focus and the priority of life. I think Paul sums up what the mind in Christ should look like in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit 
the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, I want to come to the one thing that Jesus told us to do in our passage this morning, and it's found in verse 31. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Uh, Church, the power to live above worry is found right here in this famous command that Jesus gave in verse 31. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all the cares of life, All of these things Jesus said will be added to you. Now, Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and you know the promise. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added on to you. Uh, A lot of times when I set my alarm, I like to set it for 6.33 in the morning. Because it reminds me of the promise in Matthew 6, 33. And it's a great way to start your day. You get up, you look at your alarm, and you go, today I will seek first the kingdom of God, and the promise that God has given to me is all the things that I need shall be added unto me. Would you like to get a grip on anxiety or worry? Would you? Because if you would... This is the one thought, this is the one focus, this is the one job, this is the one principle that you need to keep in your mind and your heart as you go through every day. And that is, put Christ first. Put him at the center of life. Commit to him all of your life, all of your ambitions, all of your dreams, all that you love and care for, all that you have and possess, and say, today, Lord, I will put you first in everything because you have promised to me that if I would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that all of my cares and all of my anxieties and everything that I need, you said that you would take care of them. You go, is it that simple, Dale? Yeah, it is that simple. Because if you're honest with yourself, I find myself many times through the day finding myself, what am I worried about? Why am I stressed out? Inevitably, it's because I've taken my eyes off the promises of Jesus And I've put them upon my circumstances. I've put them upon the unknown. Somebody said that worry is simply a deposit on something that has yet to happen. And I find that that's what causes me worry. I'm thinking about all the things that could happen that haven't happened. You need to put your eyes upon the Lord and to realize the simple promise that Jesus made here. Seek the kingdom of God. Put it first in your life. And Jesus said that he will take care of the rest because, folks, the reality is so much of our life is outside of our control. 
We're just living in an illusion if you think that you can control your life, if you think that you can control your kids and protect your kids. Now, listen, we know that we have responsibilities. We know that we have uh, duties to do everything in our power to do what is wise and reasonable. But you also have to realize that our control only goes so far. And after that, you have to just commit yourself to God and realize that everything that I can't control, God can. Why should we and why can we do this of seeking first the kingdom of God? The answer is in verse 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I don't know everything that's in the Father's kingdom, but I know this, it's more than any other kingdom in this world. Now, if you are kind of looking for words that repeat in a passage, this is the second time that Jesus calls God your Father. And this is the first time that we are called his little flock. As a matter of fact, this is the only place in the Bible where the phrase little flock is used. Now think about Jesus calling us his little flock. Think about the context in which he's speaking. He's speaking to an innumerable amount of people. So much so that they are trampling upon one another and Jesus calls them a little flock. It's an intimate picture of a flock of sheep small enough that the shepherd knows all of their names, all their personalities, and all of their challenges. And that's how God sees us as his sheep. He sees us as his little flock. And God here is not called a dictator. He's not called our starship commander. He is called our father. In other words, Jesus wants to drive home the picture of an intimate family that is gathered around the father's chair. Close, intimate, caring, desiring to give to us that which we already know, which he already knows we need. And here's what I really like. It's his good pleasure to give us even his kingdom. Isn't it wonderful? Now, again, if you are a mom and a dad, you know that it is your desire to give good gifts to your children. It, it's a blessing to give gifts to your children. The only thing is, don't give phones to your children. That's not a good gift. But give them anything else. Don't give them iPads. Don't give them computers. They'll just become just a, a, a useless pile of jelly shaking in the corner somewhere. Give them something that, give them a book. There's a novel thought. Give them a book to read and actually listen to them read. And then if they can read, rejoice in Jesus. But here, here, here's the picture. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you all of my kingdom. All you have to do, little flock, is put me first. And then he closes it up by simply saying, keep a light touch on the things of this world. 
Verse 33 and 34, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which you uh, do not, uh, which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It means to loosen your grip on your possessions, to hold everything loosely. It means to live generously, to share what you have. Use your possessions to serve others and to give as you can. Jesus is saying heavenly treasures will endure forever. Heavenly purses will never spring holes. Such is the treasure that you hold. Therefore, be generous with the temporal things that you have. And everything that you have, commit it to Christ. Everything that you have, commit it to Christ. If you've never done this before, why don't you gather with your husband or your wife, gather with your family, or if you're single, just gather with your heavenly Father and pray through everything that you have and give everything that you have been blessed with to God, especially your most treasured possessions and put it all at his feet so that he can use it as he desires. Jesus concluded with Just simple, impeccable logic. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your heart and your treasure are in this world, you're going to have a lot of anxiety and worry. You're going to be fretting about the markets going down, uh, down, or whether they go up. But if your treasure is in heaven, then you have something that is guarded by God himself, Thieves won't break in and steal it. Nothing can corrode it. And your investment for eternity will continue to grow and pay dividends until the day that you stand before the Lord. And I guarantee each and every one of us will say the same thing when we stand in his presence. Why didn't I do more? Why didn't I give more? Why didn't I invest more? There's not anybody that's going to stand in the presence of the Lord for one second and have a view of all eternity and go, what was I so concerned about down here on earth? Heart and treasure always go together. Your heart, the center of our being, is where our valuables, our energies, our time, and all the things that we value most are. So my question in closing today, folks, is where is your heart? Is it in your barns and storehouses? Is it in your bank account? Is it, in the, is it on the golf course? Oop, that cut me. That came close. Is it in your home? Is it in your kitchen? Is it in your portfolios? Is it in your yard? Is it in your wardrobe and clothes? Is it in your car? Or is it in heaven? Because if it's in heaven, no worries. So in conclusion today, what did I say to you? Well, Jesus told his listeners three things not to do. He said, don't worry, don't seek, and don't fear the things that the world does. And he told us one thing to do, and that is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added onto you. So what is your concern, and what is your worry today? 
I don't want you to just generalize right now. I want you to think about what I've asked you. What is your anxiety? And what is your worry today? Have you ever actually sat down, not to paralyze yourself about these things, but to actually identify what they are? And if you have identified it, then I would encourage you, talk to the Lord about it. And talk to the Lord about it in this way. What promise did you hear today from our passage that hits the mark and helps your mind to be free from the paralysis of fear? What things did you hear today from the Lord Jesus that you can actually apply to the places where you have anxiety and fear? And then thank the Lord that he is able to handle it, and then pray through it, and then commit yourself and all that you have and all that, you're, that you are to the grace of God. I pray that in the times that we live today, I pray with all the news that is coming out today, that you will take the words of the Lord Jesus and that they will be a blessing to your heart and to your mind that you can put God first because he cares for you more than the birds of the air. He is more intimately aware of you than the hairs on your head, and he knows what you need before you even ask, and it's his great pleasure to give you even the kingdom. That's an encouraging thought, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for such encouraging promises that you've given to us And this morning, I pray for each and every person that's online and listening. May the words of the Lord Jesus sink deep into your heart and your mind. And may you come away with a beautiful freedom. May you say that you have a sound mind, a sober mind, a peaceful mind. That you love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your mind And that you will see that as you're looking in the mirror, brushing your teeth, combing your hair, walking about, listening to the birds sing, or even watching the flowers come up, that God cares for you and has promised that he'll provide for you everything that you need for your daily life. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord encourage you. And I commit you now to the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.